week on Young Nostalgia, we're broadcasting live from the Forbidden Planet. Let's take a look. See that that intro wasn't it wasn't clever by by any means because usually I get Ben a chuckle, but that time he's just like, "Well, that was so unoriginal." Well, I I feel like that's. I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but as soon as you started it, I knew exactly where it was going. Dang it. Like, it just made sense. It was good. No, it was good. Dang it. Okay. All right. All right. Good. That's good. It, it just it just wasn't funny good. It was just good. No, it was it was well put together good. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I, need, I need affirmation. Hello and welcome <laughs> to another week of Young Nostalgia after a week off, because last weekend, let me tell you, was one of the best of my entire life. But the week off was definitely worth it. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me. How are you doing today, big guy? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's good to be back in the uh, recording chair, in the studio, you should say, I should say. In the studio. <laughs> the the 800-mile-wide studio is good to be back. <laughs> Approximately 2,000 sound panels, and you can still hear echo, so... I'm currently in process claims with Amazon because these things don't work. <laughs> yeah, you're using those things to insulate a sound insulate a warehouse. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 107 this week, continuing our movie recommendations for each other. Uh, this week, I guess today, we, well, I guess literally maybe about an hour and a half ago, I just finished this movie. But anyway. <laughs> It's the fresh. movie we're talking about, <laughs> fresh. The movie we're talking about is Ben's suggestion for me, the 1956 sci-fi cult classic, Forbidden Planet, with Leslie Nielsen and many others that I cannot name. But it was a good, it was a good movie. I'm excited to break it down for my first time watching, and then this that you've said in other episodes previously is one of your favorite all of all time movies. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a kind of a hard metric to go by for me because it kind of just depends on the day what i feel like watching but this one is is always a good one uh it's okay been seen it a bunch of times been probably over five six seven years since i've seen it last so i had to rewatch it again um, oh, okay and i don't know i kind of got a little bit of a soft spot for these old hokey science fiction movies um you know i'm not a huge oh, funny there's like this I'm not huge into like the retro science fiction stuff, but I really enjoyed. I grew up on Twilight Zone and and right. shows like that, and uh, this movie kind of fits right into that whole aspect. Right, and and kind of just getting into it before we actually get into it. You said the hokiness of it, <laughs> but is it weird for me to say that out of old hokey movies, this one story wise actually gripped me pretty good. Like, I, I wasn't so detached because of the hokiness, if that makes sense. Like, I actually truly enjoyed, like, the revelation and what it came to be. No, no, that's that's great. That's not, you know, weird to say at all. It's It has, this movie's a little bit different because it's not 100% hokey, I, I guess. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is a lot of these older movies, they're so bad that you can't focus on anything besides that. Especially right, in today's right. day and age, we're used to the CGI and everything. You know, this movie was made in 1956. You know, there was there was not CGI. 
Um, so right. everything was hand done. Anything that was added in was probably drawn in and airbrushed into every single frame mm-hmm. of the sh- of the movie. Um, and so none of it was over the top. It was all tasteful. Um, and it, yes, like like you said, it didn't distract you from the plot line of the movie. And, and it's it seems like a lot of these older movies also had kind of a linear timeline too, where there wasn't as great of a plot arc. Um, as we see nowadays, it was kind of a little bit more flat, more of a series of events kind of thing with maybe one oh, right. little bit of a climax in the end. And this movie, while it is, I will say that it is definitely a, a flatter movie, uh, than most movies nowadays. Um, but it definitely did have a, a noticeable plot arc throughout the whole movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually already starting the movie. Talk about the movie, but let me just do the jazz transition because it's just what we do. <laughs> All right. So then we'll get we'll just get back into it. But yeah, it, it's it's so true. So my overall feeling about this, you can definitely tell it's an older movie because, like you said, it's kind of just a series of events like just mashed together Mm -hmm. like each event can stand on its own without it having to be the whole movie if that makes sense because honestly spoilers abound obviously uh but if you're a fan of forbidden plan or have never seen it and don't plan to see it stick around if not check this baby out i think you'll enjoy it then come on back to episode 107 but just like a lot of older movies in the past it, it if you take it as a whole it's a good movie it's entertaining the acting is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoy it. The special effects, really good. Took me by surprise on how advanced this movie felt just watching it. But the point I'm trying to get to is that the only like important thing about this movie <laughs> comes in the last maybe half hour. Everything yeah. else is just like complete fluff. I wouldn't say garbage, but it's like... It's not even like you're building any character development. It's just like these people are who they are, and then they find themselves in a situation. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I guess you could you could argue that you know, with the crew being there, um, they them going back and forth to Doctor Morbius's house and laboratory. um, You could say that that's building up a little bit because they're trying to look for answers because they weren't really getting any answers. But that's really about it. It was kind of, you know, they were on this path of trying to figure out what's going on, but there was, there was a lot of other stuff that they were, there was, they were doing or happening to them that weren't super relevant. Um, Right. And they were more of a, it's almost like those events were just used as a time passing medium. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. To to kind of be like, things are still evolving and going forward. Um, and then obviously the revelation. So, uh, okay. So, if you wanted to kind of keep it along the lines of, this is what I pulled from the movie, and then you can kind of bring in what, what your long-time uh, thoughts have been. Mm-hmm. Do you yep. want to do that? Yeah, right. that works for me. So, let, let's jump into it. Um, overall... I thought the movie was great. Special effects blew me away, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. Very tasteful, like you said, where nothing seemed so 
so like unpolished or 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 like they try to force something over top of the scene that made you distracted from the scene right like when they beamed people in or the certain different like ray gun things or uh, you know other just weird scientific like rays of beams and stuff i thought it looked really well Mm -hmm. done and it was great i mean i think the movie felt like ahead of its time in terms of quality and the way that people interacted with each other i thought it was very very cool but something that stuck out to me was that the whole movie itself was like very over the top sci-fi with technology as well as like the scientific speech they did. Oh, yeah. So it was almost like they were trying to very much be like, this is so far in the future that the viewers would not understand the scientific jargon they were using. So it almost puts it in the viewer's mind like they know stuff that we don't even know and can comprehend right now mm-hmm. because it's like year 2280 or something like that. Right. And that's there's several points that you brought up there that I'm I'm glad you did because I have either the same point or a little bit of an expansion on it. Um, you know, first being the the special effects. I think what I think is interesting. You talked about how they were relatively simple; they weren't over the top. It was there was an element of using air quotes here believableness because they didn't go over the right. top of the special effects. Um, and I think part of that is genius because look at the the main antagonist being the monsters from the id. They're invisible right. monsters. A, mm-hmm. you have no special effects that goes into that other right. than like they showed the footprints and they have like when it got caught in that uh, defensive perimeter, you could see the outline of the monster. But even right. that, like you're not special effectsing an entire monster. You're doing mm-hmm. a kind of a flickering outline you know so yeah it's they're killing two birds with one stone they're keeping it simple so it looks good and also saving a ton of time and money on special effects because the stinking monster's invisible right exactly um, which is awesome but there's to to kind of go along with your uh what you were talking about with uh Ben's like, what were you even talking about? Well, there, I wasn't was, listening. there were several points <laughs> that I was kidding. trying to keep track of, and I lost <laughs> all of them. I guess your your science speak, and that's one thing that mm. I wrote down here is in one of my notes is uh, science talk. <laughs> right, science talk. <laughs> and it seemed like some of it was, it was so incredibly made up that it right. wouldn't, I would 100% believe that their script didn't it, that wasn't even scripted it probably went it, like that line was in the script and it said science use science talk insert science right. talk um, right right which we see still a ton nowadays i mean n- not necessarily in more modern movies there is like a, a scientific backing to it there's a lot of movies we talked about interstellar where they had uh movies like that a lot of times actually use real physicists and scientists in their writing crew uh to come up right. with plausible type stuff that being said, we get more into the sci-fi older, a little bit older sci-fi stuff, eighties, nineties, two thousands, and even like the sci-fi TV shows like Star Trek. They do do that. That's one ploy that they use is they have you know insert science talk here, um, and they say <laughs> ridiculous stuff that is way over the comprehension or understanding of you know the audience to, for that effect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I know Star Trek is. W- you know this movie there's you you not being a star trek person um there's a lot of stuff from this movie that we see 
later on in Star Trek. A lot of the themes, like the kind of beaming up and beaming down and the uh, suspended animation that we see when they're on the ship. And over, there's a bunch of other themes that we see later on, including the science talk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just... <laughs> It as soon as they started doing it, it cracked me up because I mean they're saying stuff like we have to, you know, re- <laughs> bless you. <laughs> oh, you were Thanks. oh you were I, muted. I muted my mic. You're muted. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know they're saying like oh we have to before we can continue we have to reconfigure the the quantum matrix relays so that we can mm-hmm. you know do this other thing I'm like okay whatever right right. <laughs> which is they know what they're talking yeah which is super funny um yeah and i guess i guess this is a good time to bring this up too this is actually the first sci-fi movie to depict humans traveling in a faster than life spaceship on like of their own creation that's interesting i guess i never knew that um i net these some of these stuff i didn't necessarily know either before watching this movie i figured i mean it makes sense but uh I didn't know either, but I guess it's the first movie to be set completely on another planet, which also goes in line with your science talk point. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah, I guess that's the response that's I have cool. for that first, your first point. Well, that's perfect, man. I appreciate that. And, and it kind of like bodes well to use this as a transition too, with uh, like fast and light travel and all that. I thought it was very interesting being how early, you know, 1956, this was long before a lot of like the NASA space program. And then they kind of really Mm -hmm. started digging deep in terms of what do we need to be able to safely travel in space? So all that, like, you know, normal human beings who, well, not normal human beings, but just people of the time knew, and especially the producers and the directors of this movie knew of space travel would have been folklore of UFOs. So like the space travel that they use in the movie is actually based on like a UFO spaceship, like an alien spaceship, because that's what they just assume it would take to fly in space. So I thought that was very, very interesting uh, to see that and more of like a a humanized way rather than an alien way. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, 1956, I'm trying to think of when some of the first satellites went up. And this is okay. obviously prior to all that. I mean, it's prior than JFK talking about going to the moon. Uh, you right. know, that was in early 60s. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, this movie is drawing a lot on the, you know, the magazine and tabloid kind of uh, thoughts on space travel. Exactly. Exactly. That That's that's exactly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And yeah, and that's a theme that I think I was going to talk about a little bit later in some of my notes, but that's a theme that we see a ton in early science fiction stuff. I mean, it's to an extent, 50s, 60s, 90% of sci-fi, even human Earth space travel, they did it in a flying saucer like this. Exactly, and exactly. I was Like I said, I was going to expand on a little bit later, and it's actually kind of funny because a lot of movies and TV shows, not only were they a flying saucer, but they were this flying saucer from this movie the same prop really yes no way yes so they use that hollywood's amazing they did i guess just for an example these are all just uh twilight zone episodes uh they use the flying this same saucer in third from the sun on thursday we leave for home death ship hocus pocus and frisbee the invaders (laughs) monsters are due on maple street um and they use that not just the the UFO the flying prop but they used the land one with like the stairs and stuff on it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used all of that, and in some of them, just to mix it up a little bit, they flipped it upside down. Uh, no for way. the scenes. Yeah, uh, that's freaking crazy. They do that so much on older science fiction. Wow, uh, props and sets like like, and I've got a whole list that we can talk about of where this stuff was used later on. That's crazy. And you think about it, like. I feel like at the time Hollywood was a much smaller beast, you know. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that a lot of times that kind of stuff was recycled. Yeah, especially when it was so uh, so split up on production companies. Um, right. That's why we see a lot of the same actors in movies. I mean, actors were pretty much signed, contracted to production companies. Um, so you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of the same actors playing very similar roles across a you know a ten year span of of a, a certain genre. Um, right. And that goes along with, you know, the props and stuff too. It's not like nowadays you need, Oh, we need a new spaceship. Okay. We'll just have the arts department design a new one. Mm-hmm. Well, no, now this not only did it have to be designed, it had to be built. Um, right. like, nah, just go to the storage room and find whatever you can find. And we'll, <laughs> whatever's, whatever's still in the closet. We'll, we'll oh, doctor that it one, up a little bit. That one's still being used. Uh, well, we'll just have to wait to film it anyway. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. And kind of while we're on this same kind of vein before going on to like the next next bigger point of music, uh, with the design and the way the whole like set looked, it was very much retrofuturism to mm-hmm. a T. Like that the episode that we actually dedicated to retrofuturism. This this like was signature retrofuturism throughout the whole movie. Very yep. over the top, like science tech, very over the top, like just big computers, you know, things that seemed bulky and very electronic heavy. Um, very re- retrofuturism, even like Robbie the robot, for sure. Oh, retrofuturism. Yeah. So, yeah. You could see it a lot with like decorations and then the car they used, even the outfits. Oh yeah, of course. That's a that's a big point that I had down on my my notes as well. Is you know it's supposed to be set in this distant, unrecognizable future, but everything is super retro futuristic and Art Deco from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. You know they're right. they're flying around in a spaceship. They got Robbie the robot, but they all got 50s haircuts. You know exactly. And, and, yep. and everything yep. else is so 50s styled. Um, and you know that's we see that everywhere. I don't. I, feel like i keep bringing up twilight zone because i feel like i'm beating it into the ground but that's such a good metric to go by because it's recognizable to a lot of people um, right same thing i mean there's it's all this 50s stuff inside of a year 3000 you know spaceship exactly um, exactly and and you know this we we had that show a while back was it last year or so that we did like a retro futurist so. retro futurism episode i mean this movie yeah. fits into that show to the t Absolutely. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, while we're talking about, you know, we talk about the props and stuff too. I, I love all those backdrops in the movie. Anything that wasn't yeah. in the foreground, all hand painted. Yep. You know, yep. and you can have, you can, you can really tell too. Uh-huh. Um, and you, there's so much work that even these, you know, we talk about how hokey they are and how crappy, you know, you, you see them walk around the ship, the ship and you darn near see stuff wobble because it's so unlike supported and crappy but you know how much work went into creating sets like that you know no green screens no cgi or anything if it was there it had to be created right right which i think it's interesting too because 
it's almost like they know that and recognize that. So they try to make sure to go back to that scene quite often, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of times in modern movies, you'll just move on to next thing. But a lot of like this whole movie was centralized around the same place the entire time. Right. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. And you definitely in stuff like this, you, you can, if they cut to a new location for a scene, you can kind of tell how pivotal that's that, that, uh, set is going to be the rest of the movie because if it's really nice and it looks like everything is really solid and really well made you can tell they're going to be back there more in the future if it's a really crappy set with everything wobbling all over the place that's pretty yeah. much going to be a one time scene they just need to throw it together <laughs> right. to get the scene shot and then they're just going to ditch it right right <laughs> I love it I love it Retrofuturism, absolutely. Uh, okay, so moving on to um, my next big point here is the music, mm-hmm. if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. So something that completely really stood out for me from beginning to end, I could never really pinpoint like a solid theme of music. Like to me, it was more of like computer space metal sounds. It was like a very bizarre, otherworldly feel of sound effects mm-hmm. the entire time. Like. There were multiple points in the movie where no music even existed, especially in like very dialogue heavy uh, scenes. But when something big was about to happen or revelations, you'd get all of these weird, like mysterious space metal computer beeping noises, like (laughs) compilated together to create whatever this music was. So it also made it like put put you into this weird sci-fi kind of you know place of mind but i i could never picture or or pinpoint a point in the movie where the sound effects were the same kind of rhythmic sound effects it was weird very very weird and it was very noticeable too like the fact that a majority of the movie didn't have these Mm -hmm. when they started playing you're like this is weird (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess once again, we have another first for film. This is actually the first film to have a completely ect- electronic film score. Really? Yep. I, I love how your points are like a lot of facts that kind of go off yeah, of your, what yours I'm, is, your, Yeah, your stuff freaking, is all substant- substantive. I love and then it. mine is just nerd. We're like feeding into each other. This is perfect. This is a great, well, this is perfect. I was able, because I know you and I know what you're going to pick up about the movie, I'm able to kind of predict it and I can find, I can kind of pre-queue up some nerdy facts that go no along way. with what you're talking about. That's fantastic. And that's why we're best friends. You know exactly where my mind goes when watching the movie. Um, that's really funny. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I would I would say that this wasn't really a scored film it was all sound effects they're 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 using sound effects to create the same suspense and the same feeling that someone right. would normally do with um a musical score and i think there was actually right. some controversy at the time because they had a lot of problems with the oh boy what what was it there was a uh, there was a union that handled scoring and the music production Mm. of movies at this time which i'm sure there still is today and they went outside of the union for all of this 
Well, really? And that might be part of the reason why it's not really a uh, musical score, because if they were to go outside the union to avoid any issues with that, they might have strayed away from using any type of what we would recognize as music. Um, that's conjecture in my head. I just am aware that there were union issues dealing with the scoring of this movie. So that might be one of the reasons why uh, it doesn't have a recognizable music musical uh, theme to it. But I think there definitely was some reoccurring events. Like there, they had that they had that bass line that they would play quite a bit whenever the monster was around, okay. kind of trying to emulate like it, it's almost like they were going for like a footstep kind of like a heavy footstep kind of sound i think um, i know what you're talking about kind uh, of like the big like timpani drum exactly hits. exactly okay. it's they, they kind of equated every time the monster was in the vicinity uh it seemed like that would kind of uh come up again but other than that i i 100 agree with you there wasn't a clearly defined theme in the music right right yeah it caught me off guard quite a bit mm-hmm. but hey Kept you thinking about the movie. Um, yeah, uh, definitely a lot different than anything we would see come out of Hollywood today. Right, absolutely. Uh, moving on to my next point of Dr. Morbius himself, <laughs> just as a character. Uh, the first thing that kind of struck out to me was that it was weird that him his, and his family were completely immune to whatever was going on on the planet Altair. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very adamant about being like, I have had a tough time because everyone else died except for us, but I also don't want to leave, you know, mm-hmm. like it was just this weird conflicting thing of bad things were happening on this planet, but I'm fine. So I'm not going anywhere. Almost like something was drawing him there. Right. Mm-hmm. Ke- keeping him there. Right. Um, but he constantly warned of danger almost as though he knew it was there, but it might not occur potentially. Right. So having, you know, seen this movie multiple times, I've been able to kind of piece a lot of that together. Um, And they didn't really explicitly talk about it. But one of the reasons his family was immune is because they were the only ones that weren't, uh, how do I say it, subconsciously hostile to the planet. Okay. So they were the only ones that truly loved living there they were really excited about going there they weren't you know eager to escape and go back home um and that's kind of a theme that he talked about a little bit was you know you had to be open to living there and you had to be open to the planet um interesting and not seen as not seen by the planetary forces that uh you're an outsider or hostile interesting um, and that's so that's why he was, you know, the only one he when they got there, he was the only one of the original crew that was still alive. And we can also see that a little bit too, where the monster started going after his daughter, where it previously had not, um, because she had decided she was at first on the fence about staying there and going back to Earth with the crew and then had ultimately decided to leave. Um, and because of that, uh we saw the monster start being aggressive towards her. We saw several of the other animals that were uh, part of the landscape of the planet that had previously been friendly to her started uh, not recognizing her. Um, uh-huh. 
And even Dr. Morbius himself kind of begged her not to leave because he knew that she would be targeted if she decided that she was going to leave the planet. Right. Which is interesting. Kind of leads to my next thing, how like Dr. Morbius did a lot of uh, research into the indigenous people that were there before them called the Krell, like the aliens, the Krell. Um, But he was also very defensive about sharing any information um, on this like huge advanced technology uh, of these people. And it's almost like now that you're saying what you you're saying, how the planet kind of protects itself in a way of the people that were there, who the Krell mm-hmm. at first, where the Krell went extinct because of them not being able to like protect themselves against that as well. Mm-hmm. And so then it turns out when Morbius, Doctor Morbius, found that technology, he was the one to become the next like subconscious protector of the planet. Mm-hmm without him even knowing it. So there was a combination of like protecting the planet and only having people that wanted to be there as well as protecting Dr. Morbius and his family himself. Mm -hmm. So if he felt like I almost took it as the uh, space crew who started like, you know, flirting up and talking with Alta, his reactions to that was actually subconsciously creating this monster to attack them as well. Right. To protect his daughter. Um, so a combination of like Dr. Morbius being like, I want to stay because we're safe here. And then anyone who doesn't want to is an enemy of mine. And then the subconscious attacks him. And that's where the monsters come from. So the planet and the technology was almost making him believe that he was safe because they were just using him to protect the planet. So with him unknowing that, he kind of became everyone's enemy at the same time. Right. Because he couldn't control the power. He had no idea. Right. And that's kind of leading into, maybe we should just give a quick backstory to all of this. Um, so, the Krell were obviously extremely advanced uh, mentally and technologically. They were had been, the lead up to this was they were working on a, a new project basically to use their uh, their thought power, their you know the electro electromagnetic field generated in their brains to basically control everything about their planet. They're going to a 100% user interface or non-user interface control of the of everything on the planet, uh, and all controlled from their thought. The reason that they were extinct, we find out, is because yeah, they're controlling everything with their mind, but they all as soon as they fired all this equipment up, they died overnight because even even as far advanced as they were, they still had not evolved away from, you know, the the inner aggression in in a in a, the the subconscious of any sentient being. Um, right. Almost like self destructive. Exactly. And so even though it was all subconscious, they they, they couldn't realize it themselves this aggressive self-destructive subconscious manifested itself uh, through this equipment that they had set up um, and annihilated the entire species overnight. And this is what uh, this is what also spawned the subconscious monster of Dr. Morbius uh-huh. uh, because he had been doing so much research, he had been using their, uh, mental equipment that they had to learn and it had boosted his mental capacity enough to where he could start controlling uh, start 
subconsciously, unknowingly controlling uh, this monster. Right. Um, as just a little bit of a background on to, into what we're talking about. But, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, if you didn't know it was coming, definitely kind of a, a little bit of a plot twist at the end on that one. You know, the, yep. the whole, you know, he was the monster all along kind of thing. <clears throat> exactly. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what really got me into it. I was like, holy crap. Like, I didn't really see that coming. But I like how the scientificness of it wasn't, it wasn't relying on like the special effects of the movie, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It was like, it was relying on the thought of sci-fi, I guess. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like they just went to a, it's not like they just went to a planet, and holy cow, it's populated by monsters. What are we gonna do? Right. You know, it right. was exactly, a, exactly kind of a building. You can, you know, something like this. You could never predict it. Um, you can't fight it because it's constantly renewing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I don't know if you picked up on it. I noticed it for the first time last night. There was a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, early on when they were first in Dr. Morbius's lab uh, and he was kind of giving them an explanation of the Krell and talking about the, how the human brain works and they were talking about how it's basically it, all your thoughts are updating every like microsecond, right? Okay, yeah. Then later on, after they were attacked by a monster, they're wondering why their blaster, their their sidearms aren't, take, aren't uh injuring it they're wondering why their defensive perimeter wasn't injuring it and they they mentioned like their their engineer guy mentioned that i don't know how to how we're going to kill it the only way it seems to be surviving is because it's updating itself every microsecond <gasps> oh no way okay i remember him saying that i remember that and i holy think crap i didn't okay. get the wording right but it was a direct uh it was uh, they were directly addressing what he had said previous about the human mind updating at whatever right. frequency he was talking about. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. See, I didn't get that, but something that started to click with me was after the scene of the monster attacking like the the parameter of the spaceship was when um, Morbius was actually f- he fell asleep on the desk mm-hmm. in the Krell lab. And so the instant the monster disappeared, he woke up and then the machines turned off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And then Alta, Alta came by and was like, I've had this terrible dream. And so I was like, well, somehow this is connected right. with like Morbius's mind. Right. So that, that, that's what kind of got me, and it did, me they, thinking. They so. didn't really explore it too much. But they did in that same scene. You can kind of tell that, you know, even though Alta wasn't necessarily controlling the monsters, she definitely had some sort of connection right. to this uh, subconscious network that the planet had. Anyway, uh, you know, like like right. I said, she wasn't controlling it, but she was aware of it. Right, because she was saying that like it wasn't her in the dream. She saw the people being affected by the dream. Right. So, yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Little, well, that pretty rounds that that rounds up my big points of the movie, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, I, I kind of have a lot of stuff down here too, but it's not necessarily a. It's more of facts and stuff about the movie, but de- a lot of the stuff you brought up, it, 
definitely we were noticing the same things. Um, uh, definitely, you know, the movie being ahead of its time, um, how different it is compared to today's movies. You know, it's still got that that same science fiction feel where, like we talked about with the, you know, it wasn't just monsters. They were, you know, of the inner mind, monsters from the id. Um, right. You know, directly <laughs> quoted from the movie. Um, right. So it, it makes me wonder, like, why was the movie called Forbidden Planet? Is it because of, like, the 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 Krell machinery protecting the planet itself? Uh, potentially, and how, you know, such a seemingly peaceful, tranquil planet has this kind of hidden danger to it, maybe. Okay. Um, to be honest, I don't really know. I don't know the the origin of the title of the movie. Um, I don't... Did they ever talk about... You know, they might have mentioned something about it being a forbidden planet in the movie somewhere. Okay. Uh, Maybe like when they were traveling to it for the first time. Yeah. Being like, we're was, traveling to this after it was either, 19 years. Either traveling to it for the first time or it's when they were escaping after the planet like self-destructed. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't remember. I don't. I don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but it seems like they did mention it at one point, and that would, I guess, would have been where they got the the title from. Makes sense. Makes um, sense. I guess. I guess a few, maybe a few other points that we didn't get to talk to in my notes here. Um, of course. I I really love how in these older movies, it seems like scientists can just kind of whip up anything they need from like no raw materials. Right, right. Um, you know, Doctor Morbius uh, talked about how he built Robbie in his first couple months there. You know, he, he built this robot. Oh. Obviously, it was so different from anything that even the crew of this spaceship had ever seen before. They were super impressed by it, and he just right. I oh, just whipped it up. You know, and it can do all this stuff, and it works like a charm. Yeah, and it can it can lift like sixty tons with one arm and be fine. <laughs> yeah, and, like I I get it. As we learned later on, it was from his the increase in his mental acuity through this stuff. But like, like, are you okay? I get it. You're super smart now, but in what lab, what manufacturing center did you make this, (laughs) this robot? Right. Um, Like with what tools? Right. And I guess that also goes along with his, uh, his home and his lab. Now there is a distinction between his personal like study in his lab and the Krell lab, which they did talk about was already there. Um, right. self-maintaining but you know his home he lived in this like lavish green mansion you know right, <laughs> right. Uh, like how did you build in that the middle man? of nowhere yeah and, right. and when the monster knocked on part of the wall it was very obviously uh constructed out of concrete and rebar um, yeah right you know what are you building that by yourself i, gu- I guess he had <laughs> robbie with him but still um right. <laughs> so that kind of struck me as is a little bit odd. Oh, the other thing, I guess, going along with retrofuturism and Art Deco uh, with Robbie, you know, he's this technologically advanced, uh, almost sentient being. But I don't know if you noticed when anytime he was either thinking or talking, he was switching tapes. Oh, that, is that what that, that was? sound of him in the little things moving? It sounded like he was it right. Was, it sounded like they were going for like a swapping cassette kind of thing. But uh-huh. overall, it was basically they were going for a, 
you know, what they knew of computers at this time were all the data storage was reel to reel tape. <laughs> and so they kind of added that aspect into the robot a little bit. So, you know, you got this that's crazy, super powerful robot running on tape recorder te- technology pretty much, right? Uh, which I thought was, was pretty funny. That is, that's pretty cool. Um, I guess the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was the overall reuse of props and sets, which this, I, right. I don't, for whatever reason, this really intrigues me when I see it. Um, no, man, I, I kind of, I think it's awesome. I kind of got a thing for this, this stuff. <laughs> um, so I guess just talking about Robbie, Robbie, the robot is, I don't know if, have, had you ever recognize, do you recognize that robot from anything? Well, no, not exactly, but. I knew something was up because every time I searched for the Forbidden Planet, there was all of these other movies and shows that came up, and I was like, "Okay, now I get it." You know? Okay. Um, I'm just asking and, that, be- and it, it also stuck out too because in, in the beginning credits, it was like, "And introducing Robbie the Robot," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Okay." Well, see, that's this is kind like of funny thing. because in in like the I don't know what organization it was, the whatever organization does the. Uh, the crediting and listing of human actors and actresses who keeps like the, the list updated and stuff. Uh, yeah. Robbie, the robot is listed as a, a human character. Okay. Um, <laughs> and part of that is because, I mean, so many people know Robbie, the robot, mm-hmm. not knowing him necessarily from any individual movie or, you know, forbidden planet or TV show or whatever, but they just know Robbie, the robot. Part of that is because, he was involved with the Invisible Boy, uh, the Thin Man TV series, which is a huge TV series, uh, Lost in Space, which yep. was huge. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. E- exactly. That was Robbie the Robot. Uh, he was in a bunch of Twilight Zones, both his whole body and just like his head or just body parts. Okay. Uh, he was in the Wonder Woman TV show, uh, Mork and Mindy TV show, and he was also in Gremlins. Really? Yep. Man, I need to rewatch Gremlins. Uh, you know, and that's just a small list of the kind of the big name stuff that he was in, let alone all the smaller wow. stuff. So we talked about the flying saucer already, but uh, even yeah. elements from the control room. Uh, oh my god! A lot of the the background, the uh, instrument panels uh, used, you know, once again in a zillion Twilight Zones. Um, they reused, you know, that big spinning globe thing, that navigation uh-huh. globe that was used all uh-huh. over the place, most notably in Twilight Zone. Um, okay. Even okay. down to their uniforms that they were wearing. Oh my uh, were used a ton in other movies and Twilight Zones. I, you know, um, you know, both as like the protagonist organization, whatever, like a space organization that they would have. Uh, right. As well as it was used sometimes by the not necessary. I wouldn't. It's not always the antagonist, but sometimes by the whatever alien race that they're it, the humans are interacting with. They also wore these uniforms sometimes. Okay. Holy crap! That's nuts. Yes, I love so it. At this point in time, it it would it's safe to say that literally everything in every science fiction movie from fifties to sixties was shared across the whole genre. Wow, that's crazy cool. Crazy, crazy cool. Yeah. So, I love it. All right, man. What are we thinking? That's a pretty good show. I'm thinking that was a great show. Super fun. Absolutely. 
I loved it, man. I told you. Well, I told you I'd get you get you something outside your normal movie viewing. I know, and I really appreciate it because it was a good movie. I quite enjoyed it, my friends. Good, good. Uh, rounding out this episode, we wanted to give a shout out to a longtime friend, but a new supporter of the show, Ryan, you know who we're talking to, actually gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, man. We appreciate you a lot. He said, love nerd culture, love podcasts. Ben and Nolan's Young Nostalgia Podcast is right for you. Thank you so much for the shout out and the review, but we also (laughs) wanted to assure you that we did get your email and we're going to formulate a response here shortly, but we want to form kind of like a short mini series with you on to discuss the back to the future series mm-hmm. and why you are completely wrong in your opinion and <laughs> needed to change it. <laughs> it's straight calling them out. Right. We appreciate you, man. Honestly, though, it really means a lot that you took the time to one, find us and listen to us. And for two, send us an email and do a review. So we'll get back to you here shortly, but you are the man. We appreciate you, Ryan. Thank you so much. All right. What do you think? Should we round this baby out? Yeah, we're hitting roughly the 45-minute mark. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up. Let's do it. Thank you, everybody, so much for sticking with us uh, here at Young Nostalgia. As always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting listening platform, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We're out there. Just search Young Nostalgia. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. Take a few minutes. Uh, write down what you enjoy about the show as well as just like Ryan, give us an email of any future topic, question, or if you want to be a guest with us, shout us out at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. This has been episode 107, all about Forbidden Planet. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend whether you haven't seen it before and got spoiled by listening or whatever suits your fancy. Give it a look. I actually found it for free on Turner Classic Movies. The whole movie is on there. It's kind of cool. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Oh, I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. It was like a dollar ninety nine to rent on like the Xbox oh, store, so it wasn't that, like that's, it was expensive. But I didn't even right. take the time to look for it for free on like right. TCM. I love it. I just type in like Forbidden Planet streaming free online and it's like, you know, one of the top choices. I love it. Um I'm just I'm just a cheap bastard. Uh so next week, continuing our movie recommendations is a movie I recommended for Ben. I haven't seen it for a hot minute, and Ben has never seen it. It is starring Al Pacino, and it is called Dog Day Afternoon. Very interested and excited to rewatch it as well as hear Ben's thoughts on it. So I think I think that's good. Uh, well, I guess should we actually end this episode with our overall thoughts of Forbidden Planet with a ranking of 1 to 10? Okay, let's do it. All right. Well, I guess since I watched it for the first time, I can rank it. I would give it... A eight out of ten. Quite quite enjoyed it. I, I would have to say I was kind of in and out for a little bit, but within the past f- last forty five minutes, I was I was pretty involved. So eight out of ten, nice. Uh... I mean, if you take that in context, like it, it it's no Interstellar. You know, I'm t- I'm putting it in context of my history with very old movies. This is an eight out of ten. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand because I was honestly I was going to say that exact thing where I think a lot of the movies and shows and stuff that we talk about are so incredibly different that we have to use different metrics for right. rating them, and so 
you know, I'm going to give this movie a 9 out of 10. Okay. But that's okay. that's a 9 out of 10 in context of retro science fiction. Right. If that makes sense. Right. You know, if I'm going to look at it in the scope of all movies of all time, I'm probably going to give it a something a little bit lower and I don't even know what I would give it. But right. in, you know, you're looking at just science fiction and just older, I was, you know, I'd say 70s and older. Um Definitely, I would give it a nine out of ten. Absolutely, I I I respect that, my friend. But I it's a ten that. out of ten on recommending it. Yes, absolutely. I would also highly recommend Jurassic Park. I said screw it, and so I watched Jurassic Park on Netflix last night. Oh, really? Love that movie. Have you? It's good stuff. Have you watched it before? Like that wasn't like the first time watching it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Okay. I I have watched it before. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right i think this this is this is it this is where we call it thank you guys so much for listening anything else big guy no that was i think that was super fun i'm kind of i'm really digging this theme we got going on right now doing these movies uh definitely excited for the future doing some back to the future stuff i know i was just while you were talking i was just thinking about how out of all these topics we've done, I don't think we've ever explicitly covered Back to the Future, which I think is you're right. crazy and to me. I know. I mean, it's been forever since I've watched them, so it's pretty much safe to say that I don't remember anything about them, didn't, so I need to rewatch. Didn't them. me, you, and Kyle watch some in school? I thought... Uh, we didn't. There's no way remember. we watched all three. We we might have right. watched the first one together. Okay. That would have been the I last time right. I'd seen them. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it's going to happen. Ryan, check your DMs as we always <laughs> say here on oops, oops, crap. Uh, stalling, stalling. I'm so bad Gotta at get this. That. Oh, oh my God. God. The heck is wrong with us? Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all. Amateur podcasting at its absolute finest. Ben, as we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. 